Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast. I'm Steve Baldwin. It was three years ago last week on January 26, 2020, that the LA County Department of Public Health reported our first confirmed case of COVID-19 and the fourth such case in the United States. Since then, our understanding of COVID has improved greatly, including how it spread from person to person and how spread can be reduced through masking and social distancing. Vaccines and other therapeutic medications were developed that help reduce the severity of the illness. And despite the grave impact that COVID-19 has had on our communities, thanks to these new tools and strategies, today we're in a much better place. Just last week, Los Angeles County returned to the low CDC COVID-19 community level. And in fact, since the beginning of January, case numbers have been going down. Still, while the impact of COVID on the healthcare system is manageable and stable, the number of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths are still high. Some groups remain at greater risk than others, including people who are pregnant or recently pregnant, those who are immunocompromised, or those that have certain medical conditions, including asthma, and older adults. In fact, older adults in particular are more likely to be hospitalized or die from COVID-19 as risk increases with age. And to help us understand more about the elderly populations and why they're at greater risk for COVID-19, I'm joined today by Dr. Chandana Das, lead physician with the Congregate Caregiving Residential Facilities in the Healthcare Outreach Unit in the Department of Public Health, and Dr. Ping Ting Nia, who is the Associate Chief of the Healthcare Outreach Unit in the Acute Communicable Disease Control Program here in the Department of Public Health as well. Dr. Das and Dr. Nia, welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you for having us. Great to have you both on. Thank you for joining today. I have a slew of questions. I'm so excited to talk to you about elderly care and COVID-19. Before we get started, I sort of have a foundational question, and I, I think we'll start with Dr. Nia, if it's okay. Can we define the group that we're talking about today? When we talk about the elderly or older folks, what age group are we talking about? Are we talking about 50 and older, 65 and older? What is the group age we're talking about, and how is that defined? Yeah, that's a great question, and I don't know if I actually have a straightforward answer, but I will say a lot of people associate older adults or elderly with the age 65 or older. And I think a lot of that has to comes from some historical references to the Social Security Act. I think somewhat arbitrarily decided that 65 was the age that people would start to get Social Security benefits. And so after that, there was a lot of other things that started to use 65 as a starting age for what we consider older adults. But we now understand that to be considered older adult, that can range quite widely. We have, um, you know, there's like senior housing that sets their threshold at 55 or older. There are certainly some groups that put it even younger at 50. And then there are some folks who think it should actually be older than, than 65, maybe 70 year olds. And I think a lot of that also has to do with um, it's not so much the actual numerical age. It also depends on, as an individual, how you are health-wise, so what your other medical conditions are. You could be an 80-year-old but be very healthy, 
and you might not personally think of yourself as someone who's elderly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or you could be someone who is 55 and have a lot of medical conditions. Um, and, you know, functionally or physiologically, you can be pretty old in that respect. So what do we know then about COVID in people that are older, say ages 50 and above? And, and why are older individuals more susceptible from getting seriously ill? And, and even dying from, from COVID-19? Uh, so in general, as we age, uh, all of the body systems become less able to sustain themselves, which includes our immune system. And in addition, there are increased chances of having chronic diseases that weaken the body in other ways as you get older. And there is less ability for a person as they get older to move around without pain or difficulty. And then that makes a great place for germs to thrive, right? Somebody who's not moving around a lot provides a great environment for germs to take over. They they find this body and they're just like, yay, you know, this is somewhere I can live. And then when you get a whole bunch of people who are sick living together in the same place, like in a nursing home or in a long-term care facility, that makes an easy way for germs to spread, especially when the same people take care of all of those people that live in the same place. So this is why COVID has particularly hit the elderly residents in nursing homes and other congregate living settings really hard. And it's a virus unlike any that we've seen before. So it's extremely good at jumping from one person to another. And it's really keeping us on our toes with the rapid rate of mutation. And all of these things are contributing to the increased risk of older adults having severe infections, needing to be hospitalized and dying. Does everyone age 50 and up have that same increased susceptibility of catching COVID-19 and and getting sick, or are certain age groups that are above age 50 more susceptible? Is it a sliding scale? As you get older, you're more at risk? Yeah, I can take this one. So the older you are, it is true that the more likely you are to have severe outcomes from COVID. But like I said before, it also depends on what your baseline health status is. So if you are a younger, older adult, like in your 50s, but if you have a lot of chronic diseases like diabetes or heart disease or chronic lung disease, you have a higher risk than somebody who might be 80, but they're very healthy and not just healthy, but functional, like they're still going hiking every week or regularly exercising and don't really depend on others for their act what we call activities of daily living like toileting showering dressing feeding things like that i think there are studies that have looked at you know how at what age does the risk really increase we know this much that the older you are the risk does tend to be higher i don't know if there's a certain threshold like 80 plus. We do sometimes look at that age range cutoff, but I don't think there's been any study that has really confirmed for sure. For example, 
80 plus year olds are, are higher risk than than those who are younger than 80. Is it fair to say that one can be chronologically old, but sort of medically young or medically more healthy or lifestyle is, you know, more prone to healthy behaviors and that's sort of protective compared to someone who might be chronologically young, but medically old who might be more at risk? Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yes. Chrono- it. Your chronological age versus your your medical age. That's really helpful. Is there a time of year that's more dangerous for elderly people for contracting COVID or other viruses for for that matter, like the flu or RSV? Of course, we're talking about COVID today. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought up those other viruses, actually, because that's (laughs) that's part of the answer. Yes. Uh, Winter, when Mm. everybody is inside, breathing the same air, gathering with family and friends for the holiday season, and there are serious viruses going around like influenza and RSV, and people are just passing it one to the other. <laughs> and mm. uh, and then on top of that, you know, you don't want to go outside because it's cold. And as you get older, again, it gets more painful to move around. And then going to the doctor to get medications that might help you fend these things off might be difficult. So it's it's a whole bunch of things put together. But definitely winter is a difficult season. Mm-hmm. In previous episodes of the podcast, we've discussed variants um, and strains of COVID-19 and particularly the Omicron variant of COVID-19. And I'm just curious, are there COVID variants or strains that are more dangerous, particularly for elderly folks? That's a great question. I would say in general, all of the variants that are more infectious or dangerous, um, we use the word virulent to signify if it's, it has a better chance of getting you really severely sick to put you in the intensive care unit in the hospital. But um, basically, any variant that has potential to be more infectious or more virulent for any other adult in the community, they also pose more risk for older adults. So we have seen huge spikes of cases with the Omicron variant for sure, especially the first winter, last winter, 2021 to 2022. And also, we certainly saw spikes in cases with uh, the subvariants BA4 and BA5 and now BQ1 and BQ1.1. Those are the predominantly circulating strains in specimens sequenced in LA County and likely causing most of the the current infections that we're seeing locally. But I will say that there is actually one exception, which is the Delta variant, at least for LA County nursing homes. That one was a very virulent strain that caused a lot of severe outcomes and harm in in younger adults, like in age ranges 20 to to 40. But because, and this is a lot of speculation, but we think that because the nursing homes did such an excellent job of getting their residents the primary series, at, at that point, this is, you know, we're talking about summer of 2021. We've come out of the, the winter and vaccines at that point were widely available. At that point, I think our our vaccination coverage with the primary series was maybe 
90%. So I think they were very well protected. And, and most residents had recently gotten the primary series in the past month or a couple of months. Um, so I think that was an exception. And I think that speaks to how effective the vaccines can be. So even though the Delta variant seemed to have caused a lot of harm in younger adults, it didn't have as much of an effect in our nursing home populations as we otherwise would have would have feared. That's so great to hear. I, I, I really do want to talk about some of the successes that we've seen in the skilled nursing facilities as well. I know we've you know, that population has fared so much better of, of late. I, I do want to ask, though, Dr. Das, you mentioned, you know, that the COVID virus is so likely to spread when we get together and when we're indoors. Are there precautions that elderly friends and family should take in particular when they're visiting friends and relatives indoors? What what can those of us that are a little bit on the younger side do to protect our elderly friends and family? So there are four things that we always say, wear a mask when you're around others, mm-hmm. stay away from crowded places, keep your distance from others, and wash your hands. And something that Dr. Nye and I have come into in this job is infection prevention, the, the concept of infection prevention. And the main pillars of this in terms of COVID are wear a mask, keep your distance, wash your hands. So we can say the same to the to the public. That's great. And it's so simple. It's just three things, three, four things to remember that are pretty easy. Pretty easy Absolutely. to remember those. Yeah, that's yeah. great. What about large gatherings? You know, we just we just had the holidays. People like to get together. I mean, there's there's additional holidays coming up. You know, Valentine's Day is coming up. I imagine at the, <laughs> you know, at skilled nursing facilities, they want to get together and celebrate Easter and, you know, right. St. Yeah. Patrick's Day is coming up in March. How, <laughs> how do we handle those sort of like celebrations but remain safe? Yeah, it's it's the same thing, you know, especially in the nursing home population or in these places where people live together, like they know who they're getting together with. Like these are the same people they see all the time every day. So it's kind of in that way a little bit safer because they know that these people are not, I mean, in some cases they are going out there in the real world and interacting with the community, but in some cases they're not. And so if they're just all together and they are, again, wearing their masks, keeping their distance and washing their hands, everything will be fine. What we worry about in these facilities is actually the staff bringing in COVID from the community because our residents are less mobile and they're less able to go out there. But um, again, the same thing, we require our staff to wear masks in the facility. We require them to wash their hands like all the time or at least they should be. And we try to keep people distanced so that they're uh, not spreading disease all around. But uh, yeah, the the gatherings in the facilities, you know, they can celebrate, just take some precautions and everything should be fine. And the best best thing to do as it gets warmer, of course, is to have these celebrations outside (laughs) in the patio or the courtyard or the the lawn, you know, have a nice little lawn garden party. 
if they can't, because right now the weather's not cooperating with us, then being inside is okay. Have a big room, a nice ventilated room to have the gathering in and take those precautions. That's great. Thank you. Let's shift gears towards boosters. I really want to talk about this because I I keep hearing about bivalent boosters. I'm curious to know, Dr. Nia, are, are boosters recommended for the elderly, number one? And do they do they work? Do they help prevent the worst effects of COVID infection? Yeah, that's a great question and a very important question. The simple answer is yes, they do help to prevent the worst effects. Before I get into more detail, though, I think it's important to review some basics. And this is something that we're we're realizing in public health that a lot of a lot of folks don't actually know yet, which is that there is a new booster that often we refer to as the bivalent booster. Sometimes it's also known as the updated booster. It's a different vaccine compared with what initially rolled out. As the name implies, it's updated. It's now got protection against two different strains of the COVID virus unlike the original vaccine just that just had protection against a single strain, which is the original wild-type strain. And so this bivalent booster was developed with the intent of providing stronger protection against what is circulating right now, which are the Omicron subvariants. And so I think that's very important to note is that a lot of people don't realize, you know, that it's it's a different, it's altogether a different booster. Same technology but a different and and better booster. In terms of does it actually do its job is does it actually do what it was promised to do which is to have better protection? We can confidently now say yes. The the CDC they've put out actually multiple studies at this point through their um what we call morbidity and mortality weekly report or MMWR it's a very highly respected publication from the CDC. They had this before the COVID pandemic, but it is their way of publishing very important, timely reports related to COVID. And I think there's been about three, four studies at this point on the effectiveness of the bivalent booster specifically and how it compares head-to-head with with those people who only got the original monovalent, the original vaccines, even if they are, they also got the the booster doses with the original vaccine, and they found that the but if you get the bivalent booster, you are significantly more protected against the worst outcomes like hospitalizations and death, and even just going to having to go to the urgent care or emergency room. There's more t- protection against that if you get the bivalent booster. Wow, that's great. And what about the latest Omicron strains that are circulating currently? Are those covered by the this new bivalent booster? Yes, actually, it was specifically made to target the newer Omicron strains, which is why it's called bivalent. Bi means two. So there's it's covering the original strain and it's also covering the newer Omicron strains. And that's what makes it different from the monovalent boosters 
mono meaning one that had come out earlier, like last year and the year before. There have been multiple studies recently, again, from the same CDC's publication, MMWR, and again, they're consistently showing when compared head to head, the bivalent booster protects people better than the monovalent boosters. Hmm. What if folks don't want to get a booster? Maybe they got their vaccine, but they decide not to get a booster. What would you say to those folks? I would say you should always get the protection against what is currently out there because it's better to have that protection and know that if you get infected with what is out there right now, you will have less effects from it than rolling the dice and taking the chance that you end up in the hospital or dying. Yeah, I also want to add to that. We certainly acknowledge there's a lot of we call COVID fatigue or vaccine fatigue that's going on. And it's it's a very real thing. And it's a very it can be a very strong barrier to getting what is recommended by the CDC in terms of boosters. So I, I just want to acknowledge that. Like we we do realize that is a thing. But at the same time, I think we have to remember that we're talking about a very high-risk population here, which is our our older adults, our grandparents, maybe our uncles or our aunts, and they're they're not like younger adults. They still are at very high risk even now, even if they've gotten the original primary series with the original vaccine. That is still a very r- real risk, and and we have to make sure we're we're protecting them from that. Absolutely. Speaking about the booster specifically, is there a particular booster that is recommended for the elderly population versus another age group, or is the bivalent booster for everybody? There is just one version of the bivalent booster, Hmm. and I think there's different doses depending on how old you are, so they might adjust down the dose for uh, those who are very young, like um, pediatric range. Mm. Otherwise, it's actually the, the same formulation. Thank you. And just one additional question about the boosters. I just have a question about safety. What does the data look like in terms of vaccine or booster safety for elderly folks? Are there safety concerns specific to vaccines and boosters with elderly folks that people should be aware of? Or is there any proof that Receiving the vaccine or booster presents a safety concern. So there have been some reports out there in the media recently about a risk of stroke associated with the COVID-19 booster. But after extensive review of the vaccine safety data, uh, the health officials have said that it's very unlikely, that it's a true risk. There's a safety system that monitors COVID-19 vaccine safety, and it is the most extensive safety system for vaccines in U.S. history because there has been so much controversy surrounding the COVID vaccines from the moment we made them, and everybody has been so concerned about safety. So the monitoring on this is really legit like it is it is Mm. really serious and the updated boosters the bivalent boosters they are definitely safe 
and getting vaccinated and boosted remains our best defense against serious illness and hospitalization. So you might have the side effects of a sore arm and the redness, and you might get some pain, and you might even feel the chills or have a fever or not feel good from the vaccine, but that'll only last a couple of days. Whereas if you get COVID, there's long COVID as well as the regular COVID, and it'll hit you hard when you get it, and then you'll have effects for long-term, and of course, the mm. serious illness and hospitalization and death. Yeah, thank you for, for reminding about that. We did an episode on long COVID that was quite moving, so I encourage our listeners to go back and find that LA Public Health Podcast episode on long COVID. Don't miss that one. That was a, a good one. Thank you. Dr. Nia, do you think it's still helpful for elderly folks to plan ahead in the event that they might still get COVID? Yeah, absolutely. I think for, especially for our older adults, we are all about advanced care planning. <laughs> um, number one thing is to get the bivalent booster. I don't know if we can say that enough. And number two is to have your emergency contacts ready, and that should include your designated medical decision maker, which might be your family member or might not be. Another thing is to make sure you're discussing with your doctors about whether or not you're eligible for an outpatient therapeutic like Paxlovid. Another one is make sure you know how you're going to get things delivered to your home if you're sick, like food, for example. Also, make sure that you have the contact, speaking of emergency contacts, make sure that you have contact information for your own primary care doctor. And last but not least, certainly not least, is if you if you have an idea of what you would want to happen to your care, should you get very sick, like if you have a lot of difficulty breathing on your own, would you want to be put on life-sustaining machines, be cared for an intensive care unit, questions like that. For some people, this is a hard no, but for others, they are open to this. And then for some other folks, they might not find it comfortable to think about this right now, would rather defer that decision to their decision maker when the time comes, which is which is all okay. It's okay to be in any of these categories. But I think either way, it's important to to start discussing this with your loved ones and your your medical decision maker, even if it's as simple as just saying, I don't know what I would want at that time. It's hard to predict the future, but I trust you know me well enough and will make the right decision for me if it were to come to that. Even as simple as just saying that, it, it can go a long way. And after working so many years in the hospital and caring for elder adults and, and um, talking with their family members, this can be a huge help to your loved ones who are left with making the tough decisions. The, mm -hmm. This is a really great question for us. You know, we are geriatricians and planning ahead is a major part of what geriatricians do. So things like this, like having the emergency contacts, having the list of all your prescribed and over-the-counter medications and supplements ready, having your doctor's phone number ready or who you're going to talk to if you get sick and can't leave the house. These are all our daily 
concerns when you're a geriatrician. And as you get older, the interaction with the medical system becomes more and more a part of your daily life. So it's very important to plan ahead for sure. What should elderly folks do if they do test positive for COVID? What What is the next step if you test positive? So again, as I just said, keep that doctor's phone number ready because if you test positive for COVID, there is a chance that you can get therapeutics. And the window for getting the therapeutics is very small. You know, you have to be symptomatic and it has to be within a certain number of days, uh, five days, and you have to be able to take the medication because there are a lot of drug-drug interactions that they have to check for. And then do all of the things that we just mentioned in the last question, uh, and you Mm -hmm. should be ready to go. So I I wonder if we could talk about therapeutics for a little bit. First of all, what are therapeutics? And then are they safe for seniors? Like Paxlovid was mentioned earlier. There may be others. Dr. Nia, could you maybe give a brief explanation about therapeutics? Yeah. So when we say therapeutics, we're talking about medications that were specifically studied to treat COVID. So none of the like vitamin C injections or the horse pills, I forgot the name, what what was it? Um, Ivermectin that people were, you know, all these experimental things that people were trying early on in the pandemic. We're not talking about those. We're talking about very specific treatments um, targeted at treating the um, SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID infections. So that could be Paxlovid or Monopiravir, which are antivirals, or it could be other medications like Remdesivir, which is an injectable that also specifically targets the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Mm. Thank you. And so would you say that therapeutic medications for seniors are effective and safe in, in reducing the symptoms of COVID, the duration of the symptoms generally? Definitely. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. And and we definitely recommend them for older adults. Is there anything people should know about taking Paxlovid or, or other therapeutics? Yeah, there can be contraindications, like if you have very advanced renal failure or advanced liver failure, or if you had true allergic reactions to the ingredients or components of these medications, those are contraindications. Those are just some of the contraindications. But um, there also, this is talked a lot about in in the news, I think, um, which is what we call drug-drug interactions, meaning that Paxlovid is a medication that can interact poorly with other medications that a person might be taking. We don't want to emphasize those too much because just because you might have chronic kidney disease or chronic liver disease or you're taking a lot of medications, it doesn't mean that you're automatically not eligible to take Paxlovid. You really have to talk with your your primary care doctor or discuss with the pharmacist to see if you are okay to take it and if you are taking a long list of medications. Most of the time, you actually can have the drug-drug interactions managed. So it might involve just temporarily stopping one of the medications or reducing the dose, but it's 
definitely not a reason to not take Paxlovid. So you listed some others in addition to Paxlovid. Are, are those alternatives or are there other medications that are alternatives to Paxlovid if you do have a like an allergy or a severe drug-drug interaction? Yes. Yeah, there is an injectable medication called remdesivir, which also has really great effectiveness at protecting people who have COVID infections from, from doing poorly. That is also highly recommended, but we understand that injections can be a little bit harder to come by. There is another oral medication. So Paxlovid is, is an oral medication, but there is another oral medication called Molupiravir, or it goes by the brand name of Legavrio. I'm probably butchering that name, <laughs> but we, we most commonly refer it to as Molupiravir. So Molupiravir has lower effectiveness compared with Paxlovid and Remdesivir, but it is an option if you're unable to take either of those. With Paxlovid in particular, I've heard in the news about something called rebound infection. What is that? And can you share, like, how common is it? And, and is it specific to Paxlovid? What, what is that? Uh, rebound infection is when you get COVID after taking a course of Paxlovid. And it's not that that common. I think it has kind of been inflated a little bit by the media, but it is possible. However, when you take the drug, it helps, again, with the major issues, which are severe illness, hospitalization, and death. And the benefits of taking the drug, even though you might get a rebound infection, outweigh the risks of not taking it and having COVID and having the effects of that. So yes, it is a thing, but the benefits of taking it outweigh the risks of having the rebound infection. Got it. Thank you for clarifying that. That's really helpful. Okay, just I, I'd like to move on. Just a, a few more questions. You know, my mother's a little bit more than 20 years older than I am. And I, I really do want to keep her healthy when I go and visit. What should I do to make sure that I, I'm doing everything I can to keep my mom healthy when I go see her? Is there anything that I need to be doing to make sure or that others can can do the same when they go and, and see their elderly friends and family to keep them safe from COVID? It's the same thing we talked about before. Wear your mask, wash your hands, keep your distance. And on top of that, get the vaccine, get the booster dose, especially if you are young and going to visit someone who is elderly. And when you do these things, I mean, maybe before all of those things, the first first step is just not to go if you're not feeling well. Like, just don't even go. Nowadays, we are in the age of FaceTime, Skype video chat, even doing what those drive-bys that we used to see in the beginning of the pandemic where people would, you know, have baby showers and other people would drive by the driveway. We have all these things now, all these modalities. And even if 
your loved one cannot utilize one of those modalities, you can go visit in a couple of weeks when you're feeling better. So that's the most important probably, but the other steps as well, very important. And you don't wanna risk giving your loved one something that may affect you less severely, but may affect your loved one in a way that puts them in the hospital. I also want to add to that the risk of asymptomatic infections, which which still is a thing, and that's actually what sets apart COVID from other viruses. There, like for example, influenza, you don't have as much asymptomatic infections that has the potential to get transmitted to others. Um, but because asymptomatic infections, meaning that you don't, you know, you're completely fine, you don't have any sniffles or you're not you're not you're feeling fine even though you do have COVID because of that risk of passing that asymptomatic infection on to your loved ones who are older adults they might not do as well they might actually get symptoms and uh, to the point that's uh, severe enough to land them in the hospital or even you know uh, worst case scenario is dying from COVID so because of that risk though one of the most important things is to get vaccinated and to get boosted. There's all those other things that we talked about, wearing masks, washing hands, keeping your distance, staying away from crowded indoor spaces. Those are all important, but they're they're not replacements for getting boosted. Mm. That's great. That's great advice. Thank you so much. Earlier in our conversation, we talked about some of the successes in the skilled nursing facilities. And I wanted to circle back to that because I, I know that there's been a lot of improvement, successes, shifts in how we're practicing in skilled nursing facilities. And I wonder if we could just touch on that briefly. What are we seeing in the skilled nursing facilities now? How's that going? And what changes have been made to protect the residents there? How are they faring this winter? That is an excellent question. So it is a bit of a loaded question. I will try to answer given that we don't have complete data right now since we're still coming out of this winter surge. But overall, SNFs in LA County are doing better compared to last winter, and certainly the first winter before we had wide availability of vaccines, but only in terms of the rates of infection, so whether or not they got infected with COVID at all. And this has led to some relaxation of of restrictions. We're not as draconian as we were early in the pandemic, you know, shutting everybody in their rooms, not allowing any kind of communal dining or group activities. We're we're definitely we've come a long ways from that. There there's also a lot of acknowledgement, not just from LA County, but from the public health field in overall that there's a lot of isolation that these measures have caused. And and so isolation is a huge concern for older adults, especially those living in in nursing homes, because that does lead to, we know even prior to COVID, that isolation and loneliness does lead to lower functional status. Lower functional status also is is a high risk factor for actually for dying earlier. So definitely things to take seriously you know, on the other other side of the coin. But I, I do also want to say that even though we've seen improvements in the infection rates, and, and there's also been great improvements, great reductions in deaths among nursing home residents, 
The biggest improvement, though, was from the first winter to the second winter. And after that, we've actually seen a tapering off. We've seen a plateauing of, of the reduction in deaths. And that's very concerning, especially as we're now confronting with more and more COVID fatigue that extends to the booster doses. Um, and I think there is no coincidence between the two that there's now much lower coverage. There's much lower rates of the bivalent booster, including in our nursing homes and also continued significant rates of COVID deaths among those in nursing homes. I think we want to forget about COVID, and I understand as a society we want to leave that behind us because there's just so much trauma that we've all gone through. But I I think it's important that we not forget, we cannot ignore, there's still so much impact that COVID has in nursing homes. I think there was a couple of op-ed articles from New York Times and the Washington Post that talked about how it's no longer a pandemic of the unvaccinated, but a pandemic of the elderly. And Mm -hmm. um, I think, yeah, that's really important to to talk about and not forget. We can't let this become an acceptable loss and say it's okay that older adults and those in nursing homes continue to get sick and die from COVID. Thank you for sharing that. And I imagine Dr. Doss's points about masking, hand washing, social distancing, getting your vaccine apply to visiting folks in the skilled nursing facility and, you know, visiting any elderly individual, not just our friends and family at home, but in a skilled nursing facility as well. Absolutely. And just in general, When doctors recommend that you get a vaccine of any kind, it's not just for fun, you know, it's because vaccines work. They are for the protection of you as well as others around you. I like to tell those who work in our facilities who are not stepping up to get the vaccine It's not about you, it's about them, meaning the residents that they take care of. And that extends to our general community as well. It's not about you, the young person who is healthy and can withstand an infection. It is about them, meaning the elderly in the case of COVID or even children in the case of vaccines like measles or Mm. some other smallpox or whatever it is that you might be getting. Things are making a comeback now, and it's really important to get vaccines because these are called vaccine-preventable diseases, and they are prevented by vaccines for a reason. <laughs> it's because the vaccines work. So we cannot, as Dr. Nye said earlier, we cannot emphasize it enough. You need to get all of the vaccines that are recommended for you, not just by your doctor, but by this state and local health jurisdictions, by the CDC, by the government, uh, you should definitely get them. And like we said, infection prevention is really simple. Wear your mask, wash your hands, keep your distance. I think that's a great place to end what's been a really enlightening conversation for me and I think for our listeners as well. Dr. Chandana Das and Dr. Ping-Ting Nia, both with the LA County Department of Public Health. Thank you so much for sharing your 
wisdom and time with us today. Much, much appreciated. It was very exciting to be on. We're very honored. Yes, definitely. Thank you. This episode of L.A. Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at L.A. Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the L.A. Public Health Podcast.